Walter Isaacson is a prolific writer and the author of the best-selling book, Steve Jobs. He has also written biographies on Albert Einstein, Benjamin Franklin, and Harry Kissinger. Regarding the people he writes about, Isaacson said that he chooses those whose particular talents have affected all of our lives. When writing the Steve Jobs biography, he interviewed Mr. Jobs close to 50 times and spent hours on and talking to him right up until the time he passed away from pancreatic cancer. Walter Isaacson was considered one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in 2012. He's also the president of the Aspen Institute, a highly regarded think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C. And so now we will begin our first reading of uh, The Genius of Jobs by Walter Isaacson. One of the questions I wrestled with when writing about Steve Jobs was how smart he was. On the surface, this should not have been much of an issue. You'd assume the obvious answer was, he was really, really smart. Maybe even worth three or four reallys. After all, he was the most innovative and successful business leader of our era and embodied the Silicon Valley dream with writ large. He created a startup in his parents' garage and built it into the world's most valuable company. And so you see that colon that's there in between. Um, I think it's line eight. And it says he embodied the Silicon Valley, Valley dream writ large. And so then there's a colon, which means everything out of that is the explanation of what that Silicon Valley dream was that he was able to start with nothing and really do amazing things with technology. But I remember having dinner with him a few months ago around his kitchen table, as he did almost every evening with his wife and kids. Someone brought up one of those brain teasers involving a monkey's having to carry a load of bananas across a desert with a set of restrictions about how far and how many he could carry at one time, and you were supposed to figure out how long it would take. Mr. Jobs tossed out a few intuitive guesses, but showed no interest in grappling with the problem rigorously. I thought about how Bill Gates would have gone click, 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 and logically nailed the answer in 15 seconds and also how Mr. Gates devoured science books as a vacation pleasure. But then something else occurred to me. Mr. Gates never made the iPod. Instead, he made the Zune. So I really like this contrast here of him comparing. He started out talking about how Jobs was a really smart man, but he's not smart in the same way that Gates was. So was Mr. Jobs smart? Not conventionally. Instead, he was a genius. The man may, that may seem a silly word game, but in fact, his success dramatizes an interesting distinction between intelligence and genius. His imaginative leaps were instinctive, unexpected, and at times magical. They were sparked by intuition, not by analytic rigor. 
Trained in Zen Buddhism, Mr. Jobs came to value experiential wisdom over empirical analysis. So again, we're getting all these contrasts between the types of intelligence. He didn't study data or crunch numbers, but like a pathfinder, he could sniff the winds and sense what lay ahead. He told me he began to appreciate the power of interest, intuition in contrast to what he called Western traditional thought when he wandered around India after dropping out of college. Well, there's another reason why you don't often think that people who drop out of college are smart. So he quotes Jobs here. The people in the Indian countryside don't use their intellect like we do, he said. They use their intuition and said. Intuition is a very powerful thing, more powerful than intellect, in my opinion. That's had a big impact on my work. And now the writer goes in to explore what Jobs' intuition was. Mr. Jobs' intuition was based not on conventional learning, but on experiential wisdom. He also had a lot of imagination and knew how to apply it. As Einstein said, imagination is more important than knowledge. Einstein is, of course, the true exemplar of genius. He had contemporaries who could probably match him in pure intellectual firepower when it came to mathematical and analytical processing. Henri Poincaré, for example, first came up with some of the components of special relativity, and David Hilbert was able to grind out equations for general relativity around the same time Einstein did. But neither had the imaginative genius to make the full creative leap at the core of their theories, namely that there is no such thing as absolute time and that gravity is a warping of the space-time. Okay, it's not that simple, but that's why he was Einstein and we're not. So you can see how he continues to use Einstein as a comparison of the intuition that Jobs has. And I bet he'll make that connection. But let's keep listening for how uh, Einstein's genius plays out. Einstein had the elusive qualities of genius, which included that intuition and imagination that allowed him to think differently, or as Mr. Jobs adds, said, to think different. Although he was not particularly religious, Einstein described his intuitive genius as the ability to read the mind of God. When assessing theory, he would ask himself, is this the way that God would design the universe? And he expressed discomfort with the quantum mechanics, which is based on the idea idea that probability plays a governing role in the universe by declaring that he could not believe God would play dice. I never knew any of these things. Parenthetically, at one physics conference, Niels Bohr was prompted to urge Einstein to quit telling God what to do. Both Einstein and Mr. Jobs were very visual thinkers. So now we have another one. The road to relativity began when the teenage Einstein kept trying to picture what it would be like to ride alongside a light beam. Mr. Jobs spent almost every afternoon 
walking around the studio of his brilliant design chief, Joni Ivy, and fingering foam models of the products they were developing. Mr. Jobs' genius wasn't, uh, even as his fanboys admit, in the same quantum orbit as Einstein's, so it's probably best to ratchet the rhetoric down a notch and call it ingenuity. Bill Gates is super smart, but Steve Jobs was super ingenious. The primary distinction, I think, is the ability to apply creativity and aesthetic sensibilities to a challenge. So it sounds like we're leaving Einstein behind now and moving into something more practical. In the world of invention and innovation, that means combining an appreciation of the humanities with an understanding of science, connecting artistry to technology, poetry to processors. That was Mr. Jobs' specialty. I always thought of myself as a humanities person as a kid, but I liked electronics, he said. Then I read something that one of my heroes, Edwin Land of Polaroid, said about the importance of people who could stand at the intersection of humanities and sciences. And I decided that's what I wanted to do. The ability to merge creativity with technology depends on one's ability to be emotionally attuned to others. Mr. Jobs could be petulant and unkind when dealing with other people, which caused some to think he last lacked basic emotional awareness. In fact, it was quite the opposite. He could size people up, understand their inner thoughts, cajole them, intimidate them, target their deepest vulnerabilities, and delight them at will. He knew intuitively how to create products that pleased interfaces that were friendly, and marketing messages that were enticing. Part 2, page 9, line 120. In the annals of ingenuity, new ideas are only part of the equation. So now let's listen for the other parts. Genius requires execution. And no, they're not talking about killing people. When others produced boxy computers with intimidating interfaces that confronted users with unfriendly green prompts and said things like C colon forward backslash prompt, Mr. Jobs saw that there was a market for an interface like a sunny playroom. So I'm just going to stop. Whenever computers first came out, and I remember having one of these, it was this huge machine um, that the screen was black and the, the characters on there, like the typing, the letters and things, was all green, like this bright neon green. And... It all started with C prompt, A prompt. It was this like these little symbols that you see here on page 10. And you had to tell the computer what to do. You had to have some programming knowledge or you had to have a program ready to insert that would tell the, the computer what to do. And it's very complicated. So he, he realized that that green screen was not very 
user friendly and decided that they needed to figure out a different way to do this. And I remember when these came out too. Hence the Macintosh. Sure, Xerox came up with the graphical desktop metaphor, but the personal computer it built was a flop and it did not spark the home computer revolution. Between conception and creation, T.S. Eliot observed, there falls the shadow. So we needed that execution. In some ways, Mr. Jobs' ingenuity reminds me of that of Benjamin Franklin. And remember, he's written about Mr. Franklin, and so he knows a lot about him. One of my other biography subjects. Among the founders, Franklin was not the most profound thinker. That distinction goes to Jefferson or Madison or Hamilton, but he was ingenious. This depended in part on his ability to intuit the relationship between different things. When he invented the battery, he experimented with it to produce sparks that he and his friends used to kill a turkey for their end-of-the-season feast. In his journal, he recorded all the similarities between such sparks and lightning during a thunderstorm, then declared, let the experiment be made. So he flew a kite in the rain, drew electricity from the heavens, and ended up inventing lightning, the lightning rod. Like Mr. Jobs, Franklin enjoyed the concept applied creatively, taking clever ideas and smart designs and applying them to useful devices. China and India are likely to produce many I, I'm, oh, rigorous. Let me start that over. It's because I'm having trouble reading the word with that split there on the end of page 10. China and India are likely to produce many rigorous analytical thinkers and knowledgeable technologists. But smart and educated people don't always spawn innovation. So we've got to connect it back to jobs. America's advantage, if it continues to have one, will be that it can produce people who are also more creative and imaginative, those who know how to stand at the intersection of the humanities and the sciences. That is the formula for true innovation, as Steve Jobs' career showed.